Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. The start of summer is now just a little over five weeks away and we're already enjoying some hotter weather across the country. So with that warm breeze encouraging us, more are heading back to the beach. But while we focus our attention on the threat of a virus spreading while we're on the sand, there's another issue we need to be mindful of when we hit the water. There's been a shark scare at a popular Perth beach this morning, a surfer knocked from his board by a bronze whaler. The Gold Coast community is still in shock after a local surfer was killed by a shark. Shark bite fatalities have recently tripled here in Australia. But does that mean we need to be worried when we hit the waves? And how do we actively avoid something when we're the ones jumping into a predator's backyard? Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Just a heads up, you're about to hear a graphic description of a shark attack. If this is a bit too much for you, maybe tune out for the next couple of minutes. Just a normal afternoon surf and I was in the water five minutes and already had three waves and just paddling back out after that one and I was in the rip obviously because, you know, when you catch a wave, that's where you paddle back out and looking over to where the other guys were sitting, there was only three other guys in the water and this thing just came probably if you say the nose of your surfboard is 12 o'clock, it was about one o'clock just off to the right hand side. And I was looking off to the left-hand side, so for me it worked out really well because as the shark hit the surfboard with its bottom jaw, its nose hit me in the side of the head. It knocked me half unconscious, so I didn't have time to panic. It just flipped out of the water with me in its mouth and we went down the other side and my left arm was stuck between the surfboard and the shark's upper teeth. The shark dove back down to the bottom with me still hanging in its mouth and we sort of wrestled around in the water for a bit and separated. And I swam back up the surface, climbed back up on my board, and I looked down at my left arm and I could see there was bone and the forearm muscle had been basically completely severed. So there was a big flap of skin hanging off to one side and there was blood squirting everywhere. So I realised then that what had actually happened is I'd been hit by a shark. That's Dave Pearson, and that's what it's like to be attacked by a bull shark. Each year, the Taronga Conservation Society keeps a record of the number of times Aussies get bitten by a shark. It's an uninterrupted record that they've kept since 1984, but it goes back much further than that. 
with more than 1,000 individual investigations into shark attacks off our shores in its archives from as far back as 1791. Each time someone is bitten in the water, the case undergoes a comprehensive review by qualified biologists. The circumstances surrounding the attack is checked to see whether it was provoked or not, whether the person was injured or killed in the incident, whether they successfully fought the animal off, or whether the boat or board being used at the time was damaged. To provoke a shark attack means that the person was doing something to attract or initiate the contact, like fishing for, feeding or netting the animal, or doing something like diving and collecting abalone or cleaning caught fish. So far this year, New South Wales has recorded seven unprovoked attacks, Queensland 5, WA also 5 and Victoria 1, making it a total of 18 unprovoked attacks in 2020. There were three provoked attacks around the country too, meaning a total of 21 people have been bitten by a shark off the coast of Australia this year alone. One of those was Andrew Sharp, whose surfboard was found by search and rescue in the water off the WA coast earlier this month, but his body has never been recovered. He was the seventh fatal victim of a shark attack in Australia this year, six unprovoked and one provoked a spike in numbers that experts say hasn't been seen here in nearly 90 years. The fatal attacks have happened off Northwest Island, Fraser Island, Greenmount Beach and Kingscliff in Queensland, Woolye Beach in New South Wales and Esperance and Cull Island in WA. The last time Australia recorded seven shark attack deaths in one year, it was 1934. So are shark attacks on the rise? Why are so many people dying this year? Is it because of something we're doing or is it something much bigger? Dr Blake Chapman is a marine biologist and shark advocate based in Queensland. Blake, have there been more attacks in 2020 or just more shark-related deaths this year? We're actually pretty much right on par with the number of bites that we've seen this year. We've had 18 unprovoked bites in Australia, and that's a little bit up on the average, which is about 16 but it's right within the normal range. We had 22 bites in 2015 and 20 in 2018. So it's pretty standard. What is different this year is the number and therefore also the percentage of fatalities that we're seeing. Normally we see maybe one or two fatalities. Last year we didn't have any. This year we're up to six unprovoked bite fatalities. So that is a pretty reasonable difference there. So I guess the question we want to know the answer to then is if there's been more deaths this year than in many years previous, why? Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, it's just something that we don't really know. The numbers that we talk about are so small that the fatality rate can triple like what we've seen this year very quickly with only just a few extra bites. Now, I don't mean to downplay the seriousness at all. These are human lives that we're talking about. But just from a statistical point of view, it is only a few more. Why they've proven fatal this year, again, it's the same number of bites. It's just normally they are proving non-fatal. This year, a few extras have proven fatal. And it could come down to the location of the bite, which is just really unlucky. If a bite is slightly further up the leg and it severs one of the really major arteries, then a person has a very short amount of time before they die from blood loss. These are large, very powerful animals. And if they get one of those arteries, then there's just not much we can do. The other thing that I think we have to start thinking about and talking about is if possibly we are starting to overlap more in sharks' feeding areas. And I say this because there's been a lot of recent research and studies that have come out suggesting that 
our currents are moving, water temperature is changing, and this is from things like climate change, but also more acute weather patterns like the El Nino and La Nina cycles. So if our currents shift closer to shore and the water temperature changes, then this is going to be moving prey populations. When we talk about white sharks, we're often talking about Australian salmon and sometimes whale movements. So if those animals are coming closer to the shore, then we have to expect that the sharks are going to follow suit and they will also be coming closer to shore in a predatory mode. With climate change and rising temperatures in water in the ocean and different areas then being the colder spots, what kind of sharks are going to be enticed in to warmer waters and where is that? Because we know, like, for example, the water is warmer in Queensland because we see bleaching along the Great Barrier Reef. Does that attract a certain type of shark into the area when the water does remain warmer? Yeah, it will. So we know that um, both tiger sharks and bull sharks do have preferred temperature ranges, and we can quite clearly see that in their movements, that they will tend to stay in a particular temperature range. So if the water is getting warmer, then we should expect to, and in some cases we have already started to see sharks and also other marine animals popping up in environments that we don't tend to see them or at different times of the year than when we normally see them. The other thing is rainfall. So if we have these weather patterns where we see really heavy, intense rainfall, then there's got to be a lot of runoff from the land. And so some of these coastal waterways are going to drop in salinity as well, just from that extra fresh water from the rain. And that's something that tends to attract bull sharks. We know that bull sharks like lower salinity environments. They can operate really well in these environments. In some cases, they have a competitive advantage over the animals that are stuck there a bit more who don't like that drop in salinity. So weather and weather patterns and rain, things like that, it is very important. So it's something to keep an eye out for. Is it hard for us to make judgments on whether shark attacks and shark fatalities really are becoming a major issue when we're really basing it on this one year of stats? Do we have to give it two, three, five, ten years before we can really look at whether shark patterns are changing? Yeah, absolutely. We tend to see all these weird little blips in the data. So one year is important for making real-time decisions. So if we're seeing a lot of fatalities this year, then obviously something is happening at the moment and we need to be looking out for things. And in this case, I'm thinking food sources for the sharks is the main thing that we need to be watching for. But we do have these periods of increased bites or decreased bites. So while we're seeing an increase in fatalities here, in other parts of the world, shark bite numbers are way down. And it's because of COVID. As everything this year has been dependent on COVID, shark bites are actually no different. So, you know, a lot of beaches have been closed around the world. We're doing social distancing. There's travel restrictions. So in a lot of these seaside towns that attract a lot of tourists, they're not getting that. And so people aren't using the water as much. And so bites have dropped. So there's going to be lots of weird little differences that we see this year. We tend to look at it more on like a decadal scale. So what's the average from the decade? How is that different to the decade previously and 100 years ago? And that's when we start to be able to identify, are things actually changing? Are numbers increasing? Are they decreasing? What's happening with fatalities? And that's more of what we look for. What actions actually being taken to protect beachgoers from shark attacks? I know that there are some areas that have nets in place. Is that really the standard we still have in 2020 to protect people swimming in the ocean? 
Unfortunately, in some places it is. So again, different places around the world do different things. And each state or territory in Australia has jurisdiction over how they handle shark control. So even within Australia, there's a lot of really bespoke systems happening. New South Wales was the first to introduce any sort of mitigation measures. They put nets in in 1937. So this is like a really old technology, the shark nets that we tend to see. And when I talk about the shark nets, I'm talking about the mesh nets, the beach nets. Queensland has had them since 1962. Since then, we've also put drum lines in. And now in a few places, we're introducing smart drum lines. So the technology is changing. We're also starting to use drones and different sorts of surveillance. Again, each state has their own method of handling things. And New South Wales and Western Australia in particular have been really good with trialing some of this new technology that's coming out. And I really highly commend them for what they're doing. You know how there's all the wives' tales about how to best survive an attack from certain animals? With a shark, we hear we're supposed to punch it in the nose or poke it in the eye. Is there any truth to that? And will it actually help move a shark on from attempting to take a little bite? So if you've got a shark coming at you, the first thing that you need to try to do, which is going to sound really silly, is to stay calm because the calmer you are, the more rational you're going to be. You're going to be able to think a bit clearer and respond a bit quicker. If you hit the shark in the nose, there's a chance that you might disrupt it. If a shark is coming in out of curiosity and you take action against it, show it, I'm not scared of you, I'm not something that you want to mess with, give it as good of a hit as you can on the nose, it might choose to swim away. If it's coming in for a different motivation or if it's really curious, then to be completely honest, hitting it on the nose, it's probably hardly going to feel it. Shark skin is really, really tough. It's covered in these scales that are called dermal dentricles, which means basically skin teeth. So it's really tough. They are really well protected. So it's probably not going to be anything too unpleasant for the animal. I have spoken to a number of people who have been in these situations and going for something that is more sacred to the shark, so its eyes or its gills, is going to be more effective if you have that opportunity. So, you know, obviously the nose is the first thing coming at you. The other problem with punching it in the nose is the nose is right above the mouth. (laughs) So you are then putting your hand in the way of danger. If you can get to the eye or the gills, that's there's a lot of blood flow. We know that sharks protect their eyes very well. They've got a lot of different ways that they do that. So it tells us that that's an organ that's very important to them. So that's going to be more valuable to you. Surviving a shark attack does depend on where you get bitten, but it also depends on where you are and who's with you. Several attacks last year were survived because there was a medical professional nearby and they were close enough to shore to be taken to hospital quickly. And if this episode of The Quickie has freaked you out and you're second-guessing whether a trip to the seaside really is a good idea, remember that while seven lives were lost this year, there are nearly 25 million of us on this continent. So the chances of you being taken by a shark of any description is very, very rare. But if you do happen to find yourself in that very small number of people who a shark decides to get a taste of, you become a member of the very exclusive Bite Club. The initiative that was started by Dave Pearson and the thing he says allowed him to come to terms with the fact that a shark nearly ended his life. It's coming up to 10 years. Next March will be my 10-year anniversary of my shark attack. And yes, my recovery is still happening. My arm is getting stronger all the time. 
and my mind is getting stronger all the time. And I've spent every day this week with a different shark attack survivor and just hearing stories and talking about our experiences. That's the first rule of Bike Club is you talk about your shark attack or your experience with the attack. You talk about your mental troubles that you're suffering. You talk about your recovery and we all share our triumphs as well as our failures and it just helps us all get through it. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri and guest booking by Mel Zauer. For more episodes in the Quickie back catalogue, you can find us at mamamia.com.au forward slash the quickie. But if you want to see former radio mates and now hosts of the All Day Breakfast podcast, Matt Okine and Alex Dyson go head to head, you can play along with the boys on our Quizish podcast. Test your brain's ability to retain useless information and have a laugh with Quizish in your favourite podcast app today. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.